Welcome to Open to Hope Radio with your host, mother-daughter team, Dr. Gloria and Dr. Heidi Horsley. This show is brought to you by the Open to Hope Foundation with the mission of helping people find hope after loss. This show has been edited for your convenience. Now, Open to Hope Radio. Our guest today is Norma Garcia, and our topic is loss of a daughter and the gift of organ donation. Norma Garcia's daughter, Jasmine, was killed in an automobile accident in 2001. Norma is the single mother of Samuel, age 14, and is the owner of a realty firm in San Antonio, Texas. Since Jasmine's death, Norma has made educating the public about organ and tissue donation her passion in life. She has served on the National Donor Memorial Advisory Committee for the United Network for Organ Sharing, and assisted in the design of the memorial in Richmond, Virginia, which honors America's donor families. She recently completed a book, My Dear Jasmine, From Tragedy to Triumph. Welcome to the show, Norma. Hello, thank you. It's great to have you on the show, Norma. Um, I'm looking at your book. Uh, It's so beautiful, and your daughter Jasmine is so absolutely lovely. And uh, there's so many things, wonderful things that she's written uh, to you, and um, I think they're still an inspiration to you today, right? Uh, yes, they are. Yeah. Could you talk a little bit about Jasmine and, and her death? Um, okay. If you, I guess, first of all, let me tell you a little bit about Jasmine. Um, Jasmine was uh, at the age of 13 when we had the accident. She was a beautiful, vibrant little girl. Uh, if you see her in the picture, she had her beautiful long hair. She was very loving, very encouraging, um, just full of life. Uh, that That was Jasmine for you. And um, I think your next question was a little bit about the accident. Is that what mm-hmm. you Okay. The accident happened, and uh, it was August 2001. Um, we were taking probably one of the longest trips that we were going to be able to take with the children, and it was nine days going. We would always go into Monterey, Mexico to visit the family, and this time we were going to go into Oaxaca and Huatulco, which is a beautiful beach. And we went. We took the kids, had a wonderful time with them um, on our way back as we picked up the Ford Explorer there at the airport. We were driving back into Texas, and two hours before we reached Laredo, Texas, um, it was in a split second, we began to roll over. I just remember kind of Mm -hmm. opening my eyes because me and the children were asleep. They were in the back seat. And um, as I woke up, I just heard my ex, my husband at the time say, oh, my God, and we rolled over probably about three or four times. Mm-hmm. Um, only God knows why I uh, woke up. I was able to wake up. I couldn't move much because I was pretty banged up, but I looked to the side, and uh, children's dad was uh, injured and, and moaning and groaning. Um, and then I looked to the back, and Samuel had blood on his uh, left ear and was in shock. He was just screaming in shock. Mm-hmm. And when I turned, kind of glanced for Jasmine, there was nobody there in the back seat, and it happened so quickly as I looked to the right of my window of the SUV, and luckily we landed right side up. Mm-hmm. Um, Jasmine was on the ground probably about 30 feet from where I was, so you can mm-hmm. imagine for a mother. Oh, yeah, um, being pinned in the car. and not I was being pinned in the car, pinned. and yes, I was pinned in the car, and um, of course what you want to do is get out and, and go to, to her. I couldn't. People started arriving very quickly. They arrived to, to our doors. And I kept pointing my hand out to and telling them in Spanish, mi niña, which means, you know, my little girl. Mm-hmm. And they kept telling me, reassuring me and praying and saying she was fine. It was Everything was happening quickly. They were managed to get us out of the car to uncover her with a blanket, not on her body, but kind of just sharing the sun 
from her. And then after that, I, would, I lost consciousness in and out. I know the kids were taken in one ambulance and we were taken in another back into Monterey, Mexico. So from there, um, everything started that day. It was August 11, 2001. And I think for me as a, m- a mother, um, that moment was one of determination that really was going to determine, I guess, my life from there on. And I had to make a choice if I was going to either live bitter or if I was going to continue with joy and want to live because it was a moment that I wish for nobody, for no parent to have to live. Um, we were at the there in, in Mexico in the hospital probably about 10 days with Jasmine and the news. Now, were you concerned there about the, was she getting the best care or something in Mexico? Um, I time. was. They had taken us supposedly to one of the best hospitals, which now I know was, which was a mm-hmm. part of the crisis here, crisis Santa Rosa here in San Antonio. They have a crisis there in Monterey. Mm-hmm. Um, but, think, but you were obviously, you know, would be concerned, and you you were bedridden yourself, right? I was for the three days that they were able to retain me to the bed. I think at that point, uh, Gloria, I don't know if it's your adrenaline pumps in, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. probably. I think I feel because I was pretty banged up from my head. The side of my face was pretty swollen and bruised up, and I remember my mother was telling me, what are you doing? Why are you getting up? But at that point, I think I was concerned more for uh, yeah the, fam- the whole family, and, of course, I wanted to see Jasmine. Mm-hmm. I hadn't seen her till the fourth day, and everybody, nobody knew what I had seen. Nobody knew that I had seen her, you know, her on the ground and that she was hurt. They would tell me, she's okay, Norma, don't worry, but nobody knew what I had seen. Mm-hmm. So um, I was praying that everything was fine, and, of course, when I went to go see her, you see this little girl that they had shaved off all her hair. Her oh. head was swollen. Where you, it's un, She was unrecognizable. She was so swollen. And, um, yeah, it, it, it was just a moment that, you know, uh, it's like, what do you do? You almost feel like, is this a dream? Mm-hmm. You know, that this really happened? You know, I just know that there's a huge number of our audience out there who've, you know, experienced that kind of experience that you had. Um, my, uh, Heidi's brother and my son was killed immediately, so, and we didn't ever see him at the accident site or, you know, who was not in the hospital, but, um, that's an incredible experience. Norma, um, I wanted to make a comment about your book before we uh, get back into the show again. This book is really lovely, and Norma's a very good writer. Uh, It's extremely clear. It's an easy read, but it's got really some deep philosophical thoughts in it, which are easily read, which is lovely. And then it has a great picture of Jasmine on it. It has some wonderful things that she wrote to her mother. She was quite the little artist. And some wonderful pictures, and it's just a, a really great read. So uh, you can go to our website, thegriefblog.com, and there is a picture of it up there, and you can order it, and you can order it through Amazon. So, um, And also you have a website, right, Norma? Um, yes, uh, we're right. I was going to tell you the book is probably going to be ready to order mid March. It's still not, but um, they can contact me and we can set up an order for them. Great. Okay, uh, and they get to you. They could Google Norma Norma Garcia to get to your site. Uh, yes, sir. Um, it would be also www.normagarcia.net. Great. Or if uh, you don't mind, I can give them my email. They can contact me by email also. Okay. At um, N Garcia Realtor at sbcglobal.net. I would love to hear from people. That's great. And you can also email us, and we'll shoot the email on to Norma also. is another way we can go. So, Norma, when we went to break, we were talking about um, this hideous uh, automobile accident. You had rollover, and you're trapped in the car, and, the, and Jasmine's outside the car. She's gone to the hospital in uh, Monterey in Mexico, 
and it's been three days, and you are in total pain and probably should not be getting up, right? And you're in the hospital, and you get up and and go um, to her room and see. And you, you'd already seen her on the ground. People didn't know that. It's interesting because uh, I'm sure our audience can identify with the idea that people don't think they know what they do know. Uh, you know, a lot of times people are aware of how gravely ill their child is or whatever, and uh, people just don't talk about it. And sometimes mothers, I think, and parents and siblings, they get a sense deep yes. down in their gut that something is not right. Yes. You, you know, you just as a mother, you just kind of are in tune with your kids. So tell us, you've, when did you find out that she was brain dead? Um, actually, that I know they're at uh, the Mex- uh, Mexico, they're in the hospital, they weren't giving us much hope. They were already telling us that the results weren't showing much um, as far as uh, her, her brain was, and they said, but we're going to continue to do tests. Um, we're in the limbo there at the hospital because since um, at the time they were wanting all their full payment, that that was terrible trying to deal with that and deal with also wanting them to either, you know, we need all this money or you need to you know, leave the hospital. It was oh it was a mess. God. It was a mess. Oh my goodness! Uh, and you're in. You're pretty badly injured, aren't you? We're very badly injured, uh, both you and your husband. Yes, and, and they have their attorney there. So I think that was my moment of also saying I need to get up. And yeah, he, everybody was injured. My son had to have surgery on his right leg, oh, and wow. of course, um, their dad also had a broken um, arm, and he was really badly injured because we all were. I mean, we're in this terrible rollover. Mm-hmm. So I think that that also prompted me to say I need to get her to the states. I need to get her back home. You know, we need to, all of us. And um, we were able to, um, thank God, we were able to, I came and was able to uh, find help, and they sent a, a transportation for her to be moved here to San Antonio. Now, so I want to ask you, because I know you're a religious person. Did uh-huh. you have a religious strength from that Did while you were in the hospital? How did, how did you get that strength? I think the strength was... Um, we were very active in our church at the time. We were, um, their dad was a minister in the church. Mm. And, of course, for many years, over 10 years, um, I was in the women's ministry and the altar ministry. So, of course, all I knew was to get on my knees and pray. Mm-hmm. That's all I knew. And that's exactly what I think brought me through that time because that's all I remember doing was crying and, of course, crying out to God and, and asking them, one, I, I didn't know why it had happened or what, what was happening. But all I knew is that I needed to be strong first for my children and then for my family. Um, all my family from San Antonio drove over there to Monterey to be with us. And just seeing my mother and my brother and my sisters, um, I think that alone kind of made me get courage and say, you know, we have to we have to fight this. Um, you knew you weren't in this alone. You had your whole family. You were right. in it together as a family. It yes, like. they were there right by our sides. Mm-hmm. We, I had sister-in-laws taking care of Sammy because, of course, I, was, I wasn't with him, you know, all the time in his room. Um, and then I had to come to San Antonio, and they were there. And I think throughout the whole, whole uh, ordeal, even till now, I have their support, their unconditional support. You know, I want to move on to um, the organ donation in the next segment. But before we do that, um, I would like to ask you a little bit about the Latino culture. And, and is there a difference that you see in Western, uh, you know, in the uh, different cultures? As far um, as the way people grieve? Yes, I do, because when uh, Jasmine was pronounced, you asked me when was she pronounced brain dead, it was here in the university hospital 12 days later that they, again, said, we're going to do the test. This was two other doctors, so she had been seen by four doctors, and they asked us. Then they approached us, and they said, we're declaring her brain dead. 
Um, and then they had somebody from Texas Organ Sharing Alliance approach us also and say, would y'all become organ donors, mm-hmm. which was new to us. Um, but I probably, I myself was more prompted to say yes and not hesitate because I said, I don't want any other family to go through what we're going through. Mm-hmm. You know, the loss and, and just, you know, all the grieving and not knowing what, I mean, what are you supposed to do? I think I've said, I've said it in my book too, that if they would have told me we can transplant a brain into your daughter, I would have said, please, you know, save right. my baby. And I think at the moment when we said that, we didn't, of course, consult with the whole family. It was just me and, and, and my husband at the time. Um, we we said yes because of that. Um, it was a very difficult choice. But then afterwards, I think even the family, even though they wouldn't um, say it right away, I think it was kind of hard for them to accept the situation of actually Jasmine's heart and liver was going to be taken from her body. One, why? Because of our culture. You, you don't get educated on organ donation. And then two, it's probably more of a taboo. That's not something you do. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, and a lot of it is maybe there's not enough education or misinformation of people or different beliefs, or they feel that maybe the church is not going to support it. Maybe I feel even the Catholic. But I think that with education, now they're seeing that they do. It's, mm-hmm. it's the ultimate gift that you can give somebody. That's great. And uh, uh Several people Jasmine helped, right? The it was um, they were only able to use her main organs, which were her heart and liver. At the time, that's all we con- we had consented to. Um, I didn't. I wasn't educated at the time that they can use her cornea. They can use a lot of her tissue, so it was her main organs, and it was just her heart and liver. Mm-hmm. The rest of them were too deteriorated for them to use. Uh-huh. And then you've got a picture in your book of the lovely young woman that received her heart, and it was Cassandra. Cassandra, wow. yes, and went on. You've got a picture of her graduating from. Is that? Yes, she gave that to me. We were at high school. That was high school, and we were fortunate enough to meet Cassandra a year after in Jasmine's um, memorial that we had for Jasmine. All her family came down from Bay Bay City by Houston. So so Jasmine's heart went into a very young uh, girl. It sounds like I believe she was she was seventeen years at the time. Wow, that is like you said. That is really the ultimate gift you can give someone. That is an amazing story. So it is an amazing thing. Now, let's get into the cultural part a little bit. How do you see people grieving? Do you see uh, Latino people grieving a little bit different than others, or you know, um, is there more emotion, or is there any? Do you see any difference? I don't. I don't think I see difference. I think because even uh, throughout all these years that I've talked to different mothers and families that I meet that lost a child. Um, I don't want to say it's culture. I think it's just that people grieve differently, regardless of, of you know, if, if they're Hispanic or not. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just see that it's it's probably, I, I maybe, one thing I do see maybe in our culture more is that they tend to, like, celebrate El Dia de los Muertos, which is November 2nd, the Day of the Dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are certain things that they do maybe to honor the dead. Um, that that maybe you don't find that in other cultures. Yeah, could you talk about that a little yeah. bit? Because some people do those shrines, and I I don't think anybody does it better than the Hispanic. And, and what people. is the Day of the Dead exactly? Is it? It sounds like a celebration of life. Um, it's more of a. It's more that they've. Um, it's the day that probably it's just to I guess bring attention to your loved one that has passed away, and you honor them in the sense where you like like you said a shrine. Either create a shrine or it's a day that everybody makes time to go to the cemetery too, besides the other, the birthdays and Mother's Day. Mm-hmm. I like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was thinking maybe that's a tenement to the decoration day in the United States where mm-hmm. people go decorate the graves, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which so I think might be similar. Started 
because of World War One or something. I don't know, but but this is much deeper, isn't it? The uh, the Day of the Dead is that Catholic? I think it's more. Yes, it's more from from the ground. Uh-huh, Catholic. Mm-hmm. Now, do you have a shrine? Um, no, I don't have a. Sh- I don't want to say I have a shrine for my daughter. I don't. I don't. I don't um, actually go out and celebrate on the Day of the Dead. Mm-hmm. Do you have anything in your in your own home? And in the house, what I have that I still kept her room. Her brother has, of course, taken taken that room now. But in the in my closet, or her closet is still there. Her closet with her clothes and her items or awards and everything is still there. I haven't reached that point where I want to say, okay, I'm gonna, you know, donate these to to somebody or give these items away. I think all her items are still there. Mm-hmm. And it's been, what, seven years? It's been seven years. You know, I, I think this is so important, don't you? Heidi and I always talk Absolutely. about this, don't we, Heidi, that there's no time thing? Right. Every, we're all on our own pathways to healing, and, you know, everybody will know when their time is is here and when, where, how they want to do things and where the, where they what they want to do with clothing, et cetera. And they may never want to do anything with it. You know, it, it, uh, as therapists, would, there used to be this kind of rule after the first year and all this kind of stuff. And we find, and you talk about it in your book, that we've all got our own pace of grief, don't we? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think, like I said, just I'm finding that out, too. I found that interesting because at first I was always, sometimes at, at first you feel guilt. I, I know I felt guilt at times. Mm-hmm. Am I supposed to be feeling like this? Then all of a sudden I would find myself where I had really good days and I would want to laugh and smile, like maybe within the family. And then I would kind of like pull myself and say, you know, no, this is wrong. So I kind of learned that it's okay, you know, that it's okay. Everybody, one grieves differently, and then it's okay to begin to live again, like to give yourself that, that permission. Mm-hmm. And and when did you do that? I mean, you, you were talking as you went. You you had seminal moments in the hospital three days after you you prayed and whatever, and you knew you had to have the courage to get up, right, even though it was painful. Yeah, I th- I think um, yeah, it was there that of course I prayed to have the courage to move on. But I think it took several years. I want to say the first year still I would still kind of close myself up to people, even to you know I stopped I quit as far as my business, and I was I was still kind of hiding myself and still trying to fight you know all those emotions and and the guilt and the what ifs. Um, um, I would still go through the endless nights of no sleep, and I want to say it was probably at least three years afterwards that I can really say, okay, I could, I would enjoy a trip without fearing if something was going to happen, okay. because I didn't want to travel, you know, it was, yeah. I didn't want Sammy to go outside and get on the bike, you know, do you have your helmet, how about if somebody, you know, you, I was, I was overly protected with him. Norma, I wanted to, Heidi, would you want to talk a little bit about Sammy? Yeah, and I had a couple questions. I guess the first one is I know that Sammy is now 14 and I wondered, Norma, what it was like for you when he was 13, the age that Jasmine died and if you were concerned that Sammy was going to die um, that year or if that didn't enter your mind at all. Yeah, um, yeah Sammy's actually 15 now. Um, 15 now. Yeah, okay. he's 15 now and I think no, I didn't, I didn't much so worry at the age that he was 13 but I mm-hmm. think it was like I said, after the accident Mm-hmm. Probably that year or two that I was extremely overprotected with him um, because I just felt, okay, we're going to travel, or if he travels with his dad, you know, are they going to make it back safe? So I think I got overly protected because, yeah, in back of my mind was that, you know, I don't, I don't want anything to happen to him. Right, and your reality is now that children can die because you've had a daughter die. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah, so, the reality is that things happen in a split of a second and that we have mm-hmm. no control that life sometimes surprises us. <laughs> And, and I think, must, yeah, go ahead, Heidi. I was just going to say, he must have missed his sister so much being that they were the only two children you had. 
Yes, he did because we had just moved into, I put there in the book, we had just moved into this new house 30 days, and they were each going to have their own uh, room. Jasmine mm-hmm. was 13, he was 9. So up to that time, they both were sharing a room together and bunk beds. So all that time, they were always together. So when she was gone, I know I put there in the book, there was one day that he cries out to her. He uh-huh. cries out to her for help, almost like crying out to God for help. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah, he was, we were, me and his dad were having an argument and mm-hmm. we kind of forgot that he was there. Right. And uh, he starts crying out. And I think that moment, I'll never forget that little voice crying out for Jasmine, like, come help me, you know, like Jasmine. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, you mentioned that um, your husband and you were having an argument. That's a couple of years later. And do you think that the, um, the accident impacted your relationship. I wondered if there was guilt or anger or, you know, what. I, I think there was on, on both of our our ends. Um, you know, uh, it's sad to say that even though we were, like I said, very involved in the church and that um, we weren't able to kind of come together, I think we drew further apart. Um, he was more, he kept his thoughts probably more to himself. I was more outspoken afterwards after I got involved with organ and tissue donation. And maybe I was able to kind of express my feelings and stuff. So I don't know if he had maybe guilt also because he was driving. And um, a lot of it then, you know, was there expressed within us. You know, it, came, it, strained, it strained our relationship. Mm-hmm. Did he stay in the ministry then? Um, he's back now, active in the church, uh, him with Sammy, and he's, he's wonderful as far as uh, the relationship he has with Sammy. And he makes sure, of course, that uh, Sammy goes every weekend with him to the youth ministry. And, of course, Sammy loves to go. We don't have to force him or push him. He, that's how he's, he's been, uh, you know, he's grown up in the church. So, yeah, they're both very involved. Mm-hmm. Now, um, do you have any special scriptures or, or thoughts about religion or strength that, for people out there who are, in those early um, years of loss? Mm-hmm. Um, I think as far as uh, quoting specific ones, there's, there's several that I would like to say, and I think is one is probably it's, it's trust in the Lord with all your heart. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and the other one is I can do, and that was Jasmine's favorite too, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, mm-hmm. which is in Philippians. And um, I think those are the ones that would also come to mind. There's, there's several. There's one in Romans that says that all things work for good for those who love the Lord. So I, I think regardless of what your belief is, um, you know, I, I feel for me that was that was my my belief was was that and 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 the Lord, and and that was my ground and that was kept me grounded in the time of when I wanted to fall apart. And and were you angry at God at all? You know that no. Okay. I wasn't, and I wasn't, and I I don't know why. I know that people go through a stage of anger. Um, um, I'm, I'm thankful that that I wasn't. I know that I cried a lot. Of course, everybody does. But mm-hmm. to me, it was every, mostly in the evening when nobody was around or Sammy wouldn't see me. Was in the middle of the night. Was be in the restroom on my knees and it would mm-hmm. be sobbing, you know, to to the Lord mm-hmm. out in prayer. And I think that was one of my prayers was, "Don't let me get bitter," because I knew that very easily I could start blaming. I could have started blaming my husband. I could have started blaming God. I could have started feeling very uh, as a victim, like why. Why us? And I didn't want that. I had always been a very, I want to say, optimistic person, and I want to continue to be. It wasn't easy, and it hasn't been easy. But um, I think I had to make that. I had to make a choice. I think everybody, you have to make a choice in life when you when you have a situation like this or any other one. That okay, you know, what am I going to learn from this? Why was I left on this earth? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and live a life of gratitude. You know, and so you found your your meaning and why you were here. I did. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah. I did. I did. I believe I was here. I was left here to share my story, to encourage others, and to say that there is nothing, nothing that you can go through in this life that your spirit cannot overcome, that you cannot have the strength to, to live a joyful life again and to wake up and say, thank you, Lord, you know, for another day of life. And, you know, that's an amazing thing because not only was Jasmine killed seven years ago, but then you had to face a divorce also. Yes. Mm-hmm. Which is another loss. It's another loss. Mm-hmm. And, and how did you deal with that for our audience out there? I, mean, um, I think that that took a, a big strain on me as far as even uh, going uh, through the process of even uh, going to get a divorce. Uh, we had already been married 16 years. We would have been married 20 years now, but um, um, I think it did take a strain on me. I was on a roller coaster. It was one day, you know, I felt good. The other day I was very depressed, and again, okay, we're going to try to work it out, and it was about two years doing that, and it did take a big strain on me. I think it was very difficult for me to let go. I didn't want to let go because I uh, another disappointment and another loss, mm-hmm. and as a woman, I think... Um, I finally came to the point where I said, I can't. I have to, you know, move on, and I, I can't live like this any longer. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So that was, what, five years ago? Mm-hmm. That was four years ago. Uh, four years ago. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, could you talk a, a little bit about um, Sammy? How's he dealt with all this? Um, I think Sammy has dealt with it much better than I think what we what, what we realized that that he was going to because one he had lost a sister and then he went through also of course uh, losing a, a, a parent not losing but from home mm-hmm. um, and at first it was very painful when I, when I told Sammy you know we're getting a divorce um, I think Sammy since he's been raised in the church I think it's helped him to be also a little boy that's very positive optimistic and uh, has a lot of faith. He even helps me on the days maybe that I'm not having a good day. Um, so I think he's dealt with it quite well. You know, I, I in looking at the book, um, Jasmine wrote these little pieces to you at different, like Mother's Day and whatever, and she would put a scripture in there. Is he like that too? I, I just think he's that's extremely amazing. like that, Gloria. He is. I think um, I'm. <laughs> Um, I'm grateful for that, but he holds me to my every word. I'm worried you going to church Sunday. <laughs> Remember what you used to tell me? Oh yes, he does. He does. He he's, um, you know. I think because probably one he he saw what got us through this, and he knew that we we were very much believed in prayer, um, and and where our strength comes from, and that's how he's been raised. So of course he's he's like any other teenager. He likes to have fun and with his friends. But I think when it comes down to it, um, and and in his you know privacy at home, yeah, he he will always let me know. Mom, remember what the Bible says, Mom. <laughs> so both Jasmine and Sammy sound very spiritual. They 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 are they are. Mm-hmm. I think they are. Like I said, they're nonetheless are just like any other normal teenager. Sammy is, <clears throat> but yeah, yeah, he is. He's, I think he's pretty grounded, and I hope he he keeps that up. Now you um, had a career and you kind of gave it up, and then you opened your. Were you a realtor uh, when Jasmine died? Uh, I had been, yeah, I had been a realtor for a year, and uh, then when she passed away, of course, I didn't want nothing to do. I I had months where I would book my calendar full, and then I had those days where I was real depressed, and I would go in and cancel all my appointments. So I kind of stopped for a year. I didn't want anything to do, and then I said, slowly but surely, I need to start getting out of the house. You know, I need to start, you know, trying to live again. And um, just in this last September, I, I opened up this real estate office here in San I bought a franchise here in San Antonio. That's great. How are you doing? We're doing well. We're doing well. We have 28 uh, executives here in the office, so we're doing well. Oh, great. And what's the name of it for our audience? It's Realty Executives River City. 
So if you're in that area, in the San Antonio area, right? Yes, stop by and visit. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Well, um, you know, I want I wanted to give this quote that you had in the book, um, the Abraham Lincoln quote, because I think that's kind of what you're about right now, isn't it? Do you know the quote I'm going to say? Yeah, yeah I know which one you're going to say. I don't know it by heart, but yes. Not well. Uh, yeah. yeah, you had it in there. To ease, uh, Abraham Lincoln said, to ease another's heartache is to forget one's own. And I think that um, that's very key right now for you because you are so involved in uh, helping others through organization, right? Yes, I am. That, that's my. That's one of my passions. Yeah, uh-huh. I get to share my story. Uh-huh. And tell us about how you do that. And okay, I started uh, with the Texas Organ Sharing Alliance a year after Jasmine passed away. They had invited us to go to a quilt ceremony, a tree planting ceremony. There's different uh, things that they do here locally, and um, they would ask if I would share my story, and I began to share my story with other people. One because they have a face to relate to. They're talking to a donor mom. And um, you get to see some of the recipients, too, and it's amazing. It's amazing just to see the children and the grown-ups, the second chance of life they get. Mm-hmm. So I do that, one, by speaking locally. Uh, sometimes I have groups from different hospitals, from the OPOs, that they uh, want us to speak to, especially the nurses that are in the intensive care, because, one, it also um, gives them the feeling of what a donor family is going through and also to encourage them to keep doing what they're doing because it's a very difficult situation that they're in that they have to approach the families. Mm-hmm. So I'm involved doing that. We do annually. Uh, let me interrupt you for a minute because I think that is amazing, giving support to professionals. Don't you, Heidi? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think it's great because, I mean, I would think for a family, you never want to give up hope. So to say I want to, you know, yes, I will donate the organs is kind of like admitting, yes, this person is going to die. Mm-hmm. And that's got to be tough. I lo- yes, I love that they're consulting with a parent. The professionals are consulting. Well, I also like that they're you, the, the the parents are helping the professionals. I, that's what I mean. Yeah, I love that because you are the expert. You've been there. You've been through yeah. it. And to also give them support to do it because, mm-hmm. as you said, it that's it's not an easy thing to approach parents. I mean, no. you know, um, it can it, you know even for us sometimes on the show, you know, there are difficult subjects for people, and it it's mm-hmm. it's hard. Yeah. How did you decide to write the book? Um, I had, I think one led to the, one thing led to the other. I have a friend here locally that she had wrote a book, um, and she called me and said, Norm, I just wrote a book, and we had met three years prior, and she knew my story. And her book is called Elijah on My Mind for Teen Parents, but she called me, and she, she was so excited, and she said, I want to meet with you. And um, she said, remember, you had commented about your story and that you wanted to maybe one day share your story. She said, I want to help you. So I think it wouldn't have made possible without Nina's help. Her name is Nina Duran, and she was the editor of the book because she actually would come to the house, made it real just comfortable for me because, one, I, I didn't think. I said, I'm not a writer. I'm not a writer, and I, I she would just hear She would ask me questions, and she was writing them down. Then she said, I'll just get on the computer and start or, you know, or not your your uh, emotions or thoughts, and that's exactly what I did. That's all I did. I sat on my computer. It was a lot of crying because I think it was a lot of healing. It was meant to be because it was a lot of healing mm-hmm. um, that this book, writing this book, brought to me because I had to search. I had to remember things, and um, she she was the one that, that helped me. So I think one, and I thought, what better way to honor Jasmine? What better way? Right away I said I want her picture in the front, and um, then I thought also of, like I said, Samuel. 
that, you know, okay, we've, we've gone through this, son, but that's okay. You know, we're going to be fine, and, and we're still going to have a good life after this. We can still look forward to dreaming and having, you know, a better life, even though we've gone through this. And then the thought was how many people can benefit from reading this book? Mm-hmm. That, you know, no matter what you go through, if, if it's a loss, if it's a divorce, if it's, you know, chaos that you think you're facing and that you're not going to make it, that there's hope. Look, I've gone through this and, you know, I've overcome. These are maybe the baby steps I took or the healing process. It might be different for you, but you can overcome. Well, you certainly uh, accomplished all those in the book. It's wonderful. And I wanted to read uh, a poem from the book. Um and tell us a little bit about it. It's called Set a Place for Me. Who wrote this for you? Um, yes, that that uh, poem was written by a, a neighbor. It was probably about six six years ago that the neighbor next to us gave me that poem, and she didn't want me to place her name on it. I had told her I was going to put it on, on the book. Um, but when I read it, it was beautiful. It was beautiful, and I said, it has to be placed in this book. It's absolutely. As Laura Reed said, you're going to see why. Yeah, it's very touching. I'm leaving a little bit of the middle out so to make it um, a little shorter for the show, so if you want to hear the whole thing, you will want to get the book from our website, thegriefblog.com. It's called Set a Place for Me. If you could see the things I see, how happy you would be. The love that's all around me here, my life eternally. By angels I'm surrounded, they call me by my name. Jasmine, you're an angel. No sorrow now, no pain. He said he knew you'd miss me. My laughter hugs and smiles, but that he'd take good care of me till you join me in a while. So when you set the table, I hope one thing you'll do is set a special place for me, and I'll set three for you. Really wonderful, beautiful piece of Very poetry. powerful. Very touching. Well, t- tell us a little bit about, Heidi was uh, talking um, during break about Chet Zuber, a man we had on who received his daughter's heart and uh, and actually had an appearance. Do you remember that, Heidi? Uh, she, he heard his voice at the elevator, her voice. He wasn't going to do it. And her voice mm-hmm. said, please take my heart. Yep. And uh, it, it's just amazing. I'm sure you hear stories about like that when you're going around about the wonderful things that happen with organ donation, don't you? Yes, you do, and, and and it's amazing. Like I said, to me, the the greatest thing is to see either a child or an adult, and they tell me I'm a recipient. You know, I receive. And I, okay, well, what did you receive? A heart or a kidney? And then to see them so vibrant and full of life, that's amazing. Or when I they show me their before and after pictures, it's it's amazing. It's just amazing to see that they were given that second chance of life. And talk about uh, what it does for you giving service. I think it's part of my healing, Gloria. I want to say that it's part of my healing. Um, uh, as you all know, um, there's days that, of course, I miss Jasmine. I always do. I always will. She's always in my heart. And I think, to me, it, it brings me so much comfort to know that um, I'm able to see others benefit from organ and tissue donation and just to see others also that by sharing my story that, they, that they're also, you know, benefiting from that. So um, it took you how long do you feel before you felt like re- really reaching out? I think I started probably a year after, but I think even a year after I was still going through a lot of, a lot more struggles as far as having days, you know, where you have really good days and really bad days. I think we all still do in life, but I mean, those days where I wouldn't want to get out of bed. Mm-hmm. I think probably, I want to say two years ago is when I can literally tell you that, that, um, 
I'm probably feeling much better physically also because I had a lot of healing to do also after the roller accident. Mm-hmm. Um, because what I notice is that when you're going through depression, what I would notice is once my mind started um, giving up on me, what I mean going into the like, depression and the thoughts, then my knees would hurt, then my elbows would hurt, then I would get a headache, then all of a sudden I was tired. So it would take, a, you know, slowly, and I would catch myself, and i say it's because I'm starting to feel depressed, and all every all the other aches start in my body. Mm-hmm. So I started, I guess, one, getting to know my body, starting taking care of myself, taking long walks, you know, just, just going through a healing process and trying to say I need to, I'm one, I'm a believer in needing to fight things and saying this is this is not the way, you know, that the Lord wants me to live. This is not, this is, wasn't meant for me. If I'm going to live, I want to live fully, and I want to be healthy, and I want to be joyful, you know, and I want to be able to give to others. And what would you say to our audience out there in closing who who are suffering right now through an early loss? I think through an early loss, I would say give your time to heal. One, understand everybody heals differently. Nobody can tell you, you know, you are supposed to cry. Don't cry. How long? Nobody has a time, the perfect time period. And um, it's okay if you have pictures of, of your loved one out. It's okay if you don't. Um, there is no rules, I guess, in grieving. But do allow yourself to slowly start again smiling, um, oh, uh, you know, taking care of yourself, that it's okay to live again. Yeah, great. That's a wonderful way to end the show. Well, Norma, thank you so much for being on the show. It's uh, You're an inspiration, and you've been through so much, and uh, you're very inspiring. You have been listening to Open to Hope Radio. You can sign up for our newsletter, Facebook, and Twitter on our homepage at opentohope.com.